Welcome to the Holistic Health Podcast, beautiful humans. If a professional, polished, well-edited podcast is what you're after, then move right on. If, however, you love unfiltered banter, unedited bloopers, authentic heart sharing, and a very generous dash of holistic health education, then you're in the right place. Why, hello there. Welcome back to the Holistic Health Podcast. It's Nat Douglas here, and I am flying solo today. Amy has left the building, friends. Well, at the time of recording this, Amy is currently away, and so I did not want you to miss out on an episode, so I have decided to pull together a solo podcast. This will be fun. Love talking to myself. It's just such a vibe. Now, the topic that I have chosen for today's one-sided discussion (laughs) is diet mistakes that you are making when you're trying to optimize your thyroid function. So for those of you who aren't familiar with my clinical practice work, uh, I will just fill you in and let you know that a large majority of my clinical experience and client load has to do with thyroid health. So whether that's an underactive thyroid, an overactive thyroid, um, I cover all of the things. And something that I have noticed over my time in clinical practice is these mistakes. And I do not want you to be making them because regardless of whether or not you currently have a very obvious or diagnosed thyroid issue, or you're just trying to prevent one because it's, let's face it, bloody horrible feeling like you don't have enough energy or your hair's falling out or your skin's dry, your nails are brittle, you're brain foggy, you can't lose weight despite your best efforts um, or any of the other number of symptoms that come with having an underactive thyroid. And if you've just been like, oh, dearie me, I'm ticking a lot of those boxes there and you're not sure if you have a thyroid issue and uh, are about to Dr. Google it, I would encourage you to first go to my website or the link in my Instagram bio, and you can actually do the free thyroid symptom checker quiz that I created. So these are some of the most common questions that I would be asking someone when I'm working with them one-to-one to ascertain whether or not they are a likely red flag for a thyroid issue and therefore requiring further investigation. Okay, I digress. Back to the diet mistakes my loves. So the first one in no particular order is going crazy on green smoothies or veggie juices that are packed with goitrogenic vegetables. So things like spinach and kale seem to be the most common culprits here. I think this happens for a number of reasons. Sometimes when we're trying to be healthy, we think more is more And if I just blitz anything green down to a fine liquid, drink it and just pray to the healing gods that this will fix me, then it's all smooth sailing. I love the effort. I love the thought. I love the, and I'm not being sarcastic here. I love the intention of being like, what can I do? How can I pack this diet, my day with more nutrients and more vegetables? But The problem is that we are not supposed to have ungodly amounts of liquefied vegetables. 
um, particularly when it comes to our thyroid function and particularly when it comes to more specifically, I should say, goitrogenic vegetables like spinach and kale. I'm not saying you can't have a little bit of kale in your in your lunch or cook it up, but please, for the love of greens, stop juicing them. Just stop. Put it down. What you can do instead, if you're like, but my green smoothie, my green juice, what shall I put in there instead? My suggestion would be if you are making green smoothies to actually chop up a zucchini or a courgette for my New Zealand-based friends um, and yeah, slice it up, freeze it, and then you can add that. Or another good one is cucumber, which would go in a smoothie or a green juice. And another idea would be some celery, which is also green and isn't a goitrogen. So there are a few options that you can use to, yes, absolutely add some more greens, add some more fiber, but don't add those um, goitrogenic vegetables in high amounts. Um, Now, the reason that is for those of you who are like, what is this goitrogen word she keeps speaking of? (laughs) Maybe you've already Googled it. You're very quick if you have. A goitrogen is basically a, any substance that, uh, well, it can inhibit the uptake of iodine into the thyroid gland, but it can also actually have effects at um, other levels of thyroid hormone production. So it's pretty much just like anything that interferes with the creation of thyroid hormones in your body. And it's it's mostly a problem when you are not iodine replete. And unfortunately for us in Australia and New Zealand, we do have an iodine deficiency problem. I certainly see it in clinical practice a lot. And so I think that as a safe safe first step, um, if you're not sure if that's you, at a minimum, just stop juicing them and stop putting them in your smoothies and aim to cook more of the goitrogenic vegetables um, than you have raw. You don't need to be... Um, you know, super paranoid about it. It's more just to to flag that there are better ways to get your greens in your smoothie or your juices. Who would have thought there could be so much information on one point, right? Amy's not even here. I thought our our stories would um would be a bit more concise. She's going to hopefully laugh when she listens back to that one. It, I really shouldn't um, insult her when she's not actually on the podcast to defend herself. <laughs> what are friends for, right? Okay. Moving on, the next one is not eating enough protein, in particular animal-based protein. Before you throw your celery sticks at me, hear me out. So I'm not saying that you need to have every single bit of protein that you get from an animal-based source. What I am advocating for is that, I guess, reminding you that animal-based proteins are far more highly bioavailable than their plant-based counterparts. And some of the key nutrients that we need for optimal thyroid function are most rich or most abundant and most bioavailable in animal-based foods. So things like iron, tyrosine, zinc, Um, are the most common ones that I see people having low amounts of that absolutely will affect your thyroid function because they are either the building blocks or they are, I guess, what we call an enzyme or think of it like a worker bee to the main main kind of uh, 
workhorse that does the thyroid building. That was a terrible analogy. Let's start over. Okay. You need tyrosine as a building block, as a recipe in the ingredients for thyroid hormone production. You also need zinc because it helps the enzyme actually work and build those thyroid hormones. And you also need iron because if you don't have enough, again, you're not going to be able to produce an optimal amount of thyroid hormones. That was much better. I'm giving myself a seven out of 10 up from a three. Who's with me? Okay. So that's point number two, and there are two more to go. The next one is chronic dieting. Chronic dieting. Yes, we have all been there. I certainly have. And I think this is a bit of a cruel irony, if you ask me, because I know that many of you who may actively have an underactive thyroid and part of that presentation is that you can't lose weight and you keep putting it on despite your best efforts. Of course, of course, your knee-jerk reaction is going to be, well, I need to go on a diet or I need to address this in some way and do something about it. But here's the thing. When you are chronically dieting or chronically under-eating calories, your thyroid hormone production or even entry into the cell, depending on, on you as a person, gets down-regulated, which means that you're basically in this state in which your body is able to function on a lower amount of food. And that's why sometimes you can be on these really low calorie diets or not eating very much and just absolutely dumbfounded as to why nothing is changing. It's because our body adapts. All it cares about is keeping you safe. All it cares about is running the daily functions that are needed for your survival. It does not care what you look like in a bikini or in your gym tights. All it cares about is is you. And I think that's a beautiful thing and a wonderfully adaptive thing. And I also acknowledge that it's a very frustrating thing. So the question then, I guess, comes to, well, okay, so what am I supposed to do about that? And my answer to that is to, I guess, diet smarter. So that might sound very confusing because I haven't explained what that means. And perhaps that is an episode or a topic for another time. But if you are going to, if if losing weight is a goal for you and that's a healthy goal for you, then my encouragement would be to do it in a more strategic way. So what I often recommend for people who are in this boat is that we do it in a metabolically protected way. And that means that we do it gradually and that we also incorporate regular diet breaks, which are basically just times um, of eating at what we call maintenance calories or eating a more adequate amount of fruit, food to give your body a break and to kind of slow down that adaptation that can happen um, in your body from a metabolic standpoint. Um, the other thing that sometimes can be necessary if you've been chronic dieting for a really long time or under eating for a really long time, then the reality is you may actually have to repair your metabolism and build your energy intake or your calorie intake back up to allow it to be realistic to actually create a deficit. Because if you're someone who is currently eating, I don't know, 1200 calories a day and you're not losing weight on it and 
you need to be from a health perspective, then you have basically two choices. Like one is that you take away more food and anyone who's ever even just eaten 1200 calories knows that such a low amount of food as it is. And if you were to reduce more and let's say, you know, that might need to be another 300 to 500 calories less, you are going to be miserable. And it doesn't have to be like that. The other option is that you, what we call reverse diet, or you slowly increase your calories up to a point where maybe you get up to about 2000 calories in a day. And then in order to create a deficit or to create weight loss, again, given that is a healthy goal for you in this hypothetical situation, you're only needing to Um, you know, you're able to, I should say, lose weight or quote unquote diet. I hate that word, but let's just roll with it on a higher amount of calories or energy intake and still create change. So you might be dieting on, you know, 1600 calories instead of having to go down to like, I don't know, 700, which is just wildly unrealistic. And at that point in time, you're really running into other problems because when we're eating less food, we have less opportunity to actually hit our micronutrient intake. So our vitamin and our mineral requirements, it also absolutely affects your social life because it becomes very unrealistic to eat out, to eat with other people, and it does become all-consuming. And so we're trying to avoid that situation and we're trying to, you know, when it comes to intentional healthy weight loss, Uh, you know, do it in a smarter way, do it in a way that is metabolically protective, that is also going to be realistic for you as well. So rant over on that one. If you are interested in me doing another podcast episode on reverse dieting in particular, or a more sensible approach to dieting, if you're someone that needs to um, go down that path or that's a healthy goal for you, let me know on on Instagram and I will put that together for you. But that was a rather elaborate explanation, wasn't it? I'm doing very well. Okay. Number four is, as in a diet mistake that you are making when it comes to your thyroid health, is fasting for long periods of time, particularly when you're a female of menstruating age and or you are already under a lot of other stress. So let's define a few things here to get on the same page. Fasting for a long period of time, in my opinion, is probably pushing anything above about 14 hours for a female. I think 12-hour overnight fasts are a really healthy, happy medium where we get some of the benefits of fasting without dipping into a lot of the detriments of fasting. So remembering here that fasting is periods of time without any food or drink outside of water. Um, So it doesn't, you're not fasting if you wake up and you have an almond latte and then don't eat breakfast until 10 a.m. You've broken your fast with an almond latte delicious. Well, no, don't have coffee on an empty stomach, but the almond latte part of it, I think is delicious, but eat before you have coffee friends. Okay. So yes, back to the fasting. 
I would recommend that if you are someone who is a female of menstruating age, currently has thyroid issues or wants to avoid them, um, particularly if you have a lot of other things going on in terms of you live a busy life, you live a stressful life, or you just have other things that you're trying to address, then I think sticking to the 12-hour overnight fast is a better option because here's the thing. Yes, fasting has benefits, but it's what we call a hormetic stress. So what that means is that it's kind of like exercise, right? We all know that enough exercise um, is a positive, but too much becomes a negative. We also know, or you will now if you don't already, that the benefit of exercise is that in the short term, it creates a little bit of stress in our body, but then our body adapts and that that benefit that we get is from the adaptation. So, you know, our cardiovascular system becomes more efficient and healthy as an example, and that's a positive. But in the short term, it's not necessarily, you know, you don't get that straight away. You get that in the recovery, which is why over-exercising is a bad idea because you don't actually get a chance to reap the rewards of exercise because you're not actually allowing for adequate recovery. So fasting is is similar. It it's a positive if you have the resources to actually recover from it. And I have to say in my experience that women in particular and again, particularly when you're of menstruating age, do far better not doing long fast versus doing long fast. So having a 12-hour overnight fast, having a high-protein breakfast is going to do far more positives for your thyroid health and for your overall health and your hormonal health than trying to wake up and wait until midday and have a bulletproof coffee and then do a workout and then just have two meals a day. I I totally get the appeal. It sounds really sexy and, and also takes away um, you know, the decision fatigue of what do I have for breakfast? But I can tell you now, it is not something that's doing your thyroid or your hormonal health, your blood sugar, your cortisol levels, your nervous system, any favors. So I feel like I got through those four. Um, it took me a lot longer than I thought, but here we are. We are at the end. And I do actually have a few other important things to share with you that are relevant, I promise. So I have recently released two recipe ebooks that are from my thyroid rescue and hormone rescue programs, respectively. So After running those programs for several years, I got lots and lots of really beautiful, wonderful, positive feedback on how much people just loved the recipes. And often when people had finished the programs, they said like, you know, where can I find more recipes? Like, do you have other ones? And unfortunately, at that point in time, the answer was no. However, what I've decided to do for you guys is package up the recipes from Hormone Rescue and from Thyroid Rescue into eBooks with some additional guides in there for you so that if you're someone who 
is struggling with knowing what to eat to support your thyroid health or your hormone health. If you are looking for some new um, food prep inspiration, if you're wanting to get a little bit of an insight into the kinds of foods and recipes that I recommend to my one-to-one clients often, or if you're just someone that need some decisions made for you so that you stop eating canned tuna and rice cakes every lunchtime, then I've got your back and you can now purchase those either as a standalone or they come in a bundle if you'd like that as well. So to get those, you can head to either the the link rather in my Instagram bio, or if you head to my, um, my website, there's a tab that says uh, ebooks at the top, which will get you to the same place. All right. Well, that is all from me, friends. I hope that that has been helpful. If you have anyone in your life that is making any of those diet mistakes, then perhaps this is the perfect time to lovingly send this episode on to them. If you have any questions for me or for Amy that you'd love answered on the podcast, then just another little reminder that we have a service called SpeakPipe where you can send in your questions. So there's a link in my bio for that as well. um, And it's also in the show notes. All right, loves, I hope you're having the most wonderful day or evening wherever you are. And I look forward to chatting with you next week. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Holistic Health Podcast with Amy and Nat. If you loved this episode, then make sure you share it on Instagram and give us a tag. If you'd like to help us spread the holistic health message far and wide, then we would also so appreciate it if you left a rating and review. This helps us more than you know. And don't forget to come and say hi over on Instagram. See you next week.